0: We've been missing that, Steve. Thank you. And Kyle and Jess, that was awesome. Um, I feel like a guest speaker three weeks ago. So, uh, My family and I spent five weeks exploring the East Coast and exploring uh, our founding fathers and the beginning of our country. And we had our Perspectives changed, and our faith challenged. When about a week after we returned, Brenda and I took off for ten days, and we went to South Africa. And uh, that was very enlightening, and that was faith challenging as well. And so, for the last seven or eight weeks, we've been meeting new people, we've been experiencing new cultures, and we've been eating uh, what some would consider exotic foods. Um, It's a cultural thing. I uh, so I just tell you, I some people would consider zebra exotic. And I asked one of the guys there, I said, so is this like a horse? He said, no, it's a zebra. I said, fair enough, I'll try it. And my very health conscious, um, inspiring wife, she ate a processed white bread with American cheese sandwich five days in a row. I couldn't believe it. I thought for sure she was just going to fast for five days during lunch, but she ate it five days in a row. And she said it reminded her of being a kid again, So, because uh, that's what they ate when they were kids. So it was, a very, it was a very enlightening and very challenging and a very good time for us to be away. And as we traveled um, along the East Coast and, and we traveled through South Africa with uh, a couple of these safari guides, uh, the, the discussion of politics continued to come up. And, you know, these are people in, uh, when we were in South Africa, another country, and then, you know, East Coast, of course, we get in a conversation. A lot of times people tell you that you should avoid three subjects when meeting people for the first time, and it's uh, avoid religion, avoid politics, and avoid money. Avoid those three subjects. And I tend to disagree because I don't like real surface conversation. I want to find out who I'm talking to and why they believe what they believe. So we begin to talk about American politics, and surprisingly... Um, or not surprisingly, these African safari guides asked a couple of questions, and one which kind of shook me to my core in thinking that we're not the only ones that see it, and he, he said, uh, I can't understand why you vote, and I'm not making this up, I'm just telling you, Brian, was, Brian Bray was there, they, they couldn't understand why we voted Joe Biden into office. I'm not taking, t- telling you what side of the aisle I stand on, I'm just telling you, that was the question that this African safari asks is, I cannot believe why you guys would vote Joe Biden in the office. And um, there's a, a, we started to talk about this, this IRS thing where there's 87,000 new IRS agents, which is going to affect, I think, uh, most of us. And on the website it says that, on the website it says uh, it includes irregular hours if you want to apply for the job and you need to be on call 24 hours in addition to holidays and weekends. It also cited... Uh, the IRS criminal investigation team described as, quote, the law enforcement branch of the IRS, which requires special agents to, quote, combine accounting skills with law enforcement skills to investigate financial crimes and the requirement that they may be able to carry a firearm and be willing to use deadly force if necessary. This was on the IRS website recently uh, when they... Passed the bill that there's going to be 87,000 new IRS agents. Okay. Now that has since been removed uh, from the website, but it was in the original text. And then more recently we had this loan forgiveness, this debt loan forgiveness situation that came up with our uh, federal government where he signed an executive order or announced he was going to sign an executive order that, quote, the relief will be limited to borrowers who make less than $125,000 per year or married couples or heads of households earning less than $250,000 year. If your income was below these caps in either 20 or 21, you should be eligible to forgive uh, $10,000 of your student loan debt or $20,000 of Pell Grant's student loan debt for some people. Now, one gentleman I was speaking with recently about this new executive uh, order was that this is an unconstitutional amendment or an unconstitutional uh, executive order because it goes against the fifth amendment of our constitution which says... That you cannot uh, unjustly uh, take what is property of uh, the citizens without compensation. And our money is our property. And so they will say that is a, a Fifth Amendment violation and it's unfair to the American people. And one gentleman I talked to said this bill is likened to Johnny who wants to uh, borrow or buy a car so he can get back and forth to work. So he, he signs the paperwork and he, 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 he goes to his, his dad and his dad loans him the money and he signs the paperwork. And, He's driving back and forth to work where his siblings decide that they don't want a car. They want to walk to work. And then one day his dad calls all the kids in and says, Hey, guess what? I know Johnny's using the car. And he signed off on the agreement. He agreed to make these loans, uh, payments back to me. But I've decided that I want all of you to start sending money every single month to pay for Johnny's debt. I know you don't have a car. And I know you you decided to ride your bike to work. But you need to pay Johnny's loan for him. And there's going to be no argument, no debate, no discussion. You are now further in debt because I am the king and this is my kingdom. That's how some people feel at these new rules that are being passed in our federal government and our state government which directly affect each one of us whether it's at home or in the business. Now, I bring up these political points because I was talking to a gentleman this morning and he says, man, a lot of people want to talk about politics from the pulpit. Well, I think it's important. I think Jesus did. I think our early founding fathers talked about politics from the pulpit as well. Uh, This sermon is not going to be a political sermon, but I say these things that over the last eight weeks as we've been traveling, um, I've entered into discussion with politics on the East Coast and in, in Africa, and these same people I've been talking to somehow as we're talking about politics will lead into a discussion about faith. It will lead into a discussion about God. And you'll hear things from these people that are saying that they feel that the end times are near or that things are starting to build up because we're starting to see the writing on the wall and the signs that we need to pay more attention. And they'll say things like, We need to be ready, things are getting bad, and I feel the time is there for Jesus to come back. And and on Wednesday or Tuesday, we're flying from Cape Town, South Africa to Newark, New Jersey. And we happened to sit next to this guy on a plane. And I, of course, I'm, I, I, I sat on the window seat on the way there. And so Brenda sat on the window seat on the way back so we could both put our head up against the window and sleep a little bit. And so I can't sleep. So I'm looking next to this guy's paperwork that he's reading. And I'm, you know, I'm not shy to say, what are you reading? Because I, I elbowed Brenda because it said something about the lymphatic system or the lymphids or whatever. And she said, it looks like a diagnosis of, pa- uh, of a diagnosis. And so I said, "So what? he looked like a healthy guy. So what are you reading? He goes, well, just about um, diet and, and, and things like that. And I go, oh, this is right at my wife's alley. Uh, she's pretty healthy. And I said, so it, well, you mind explaining? We've got 15 hours to go on a plane. Well, it turns out this, this, this guy, is it uh, Seville? Is that how you said it, honey? Neville. I knew it was a Is It was Neville. His name starts with an N. It's Neville. He's a doctor, a PhD that, uh, or is that right he got his PhDs? He's a doctor, practicing practitioner or whatever. And he studies diabetes and he's been working for 38 years in the medical industry uh, as a doctor to help cure people or help people with their diabetes. And he said, it's very humbling that after 30 years being a doctor, you realize you're wrong. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I've been studying and I've been, I've been working with these people and I'm seeing that I'm giving them their, their drugs and what they need, but it's not really changing them. It's not helping them. And so, me and some of my colleagues, 6,000 other doctors, he said, across the world, now recognize that diet can reverse diabetes. This is what this gentleman told us. He said, so I'm flying from to Newark over to San Diego because I was invited to speak at a conference in San Diego about how we can reverse diabetes with diet, with the way God created us. And then he says, and really, this guy's grandfather was a Methodist minister who taught Nelson Mandela in the 40s also. This guy is super interesting. And we have a place to stay if we go back to South Africa because they live in Cape Town and said we could stay there. But anyway, so he's he's going to San Diego. He's going to talk about this, but he says, but none of this really matters. He says, "What really matters is, are you ready for eternity?" <laughs> this guy told me, so it's like open door. The like guys, we start talking politics, and we start talking religion, and we start talking health and then we go back to religion. And he says, "What matters is whether or not you're set for eternity, because none of us are going to live forever." And that that conversation obviously sparked a whole new conversation that lasted longer than the discussion about diabetes. And it came, I came to realize that no matter where you are in the world, whether you're in South Africa, whether you're on the East Coast, you're in Bar Harbor or Bahaba and you're walking from the town into this little island across this bar, there are people that want to talk about God. There are people that want to discuss eternity. You could be in Africa, you could be in maine you could be in the western slope of colorado you could be in grand junction you could be in your neighborhood and people want to talk about god in ecclesiastes chapter 3 solomon writes what does the worker gain from his toil i have seen the burden god has laid on men he has made everything beautiful in its time he god has also set eternity in the hearts of men
1: Yet they cannot fathom what God has
0: done from beginning to end. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. I believe every human realizes that life is going to end for them one day. And it's a little bit of a side note. Um, Here in a minute, I want to go back. I, I don't want to jump ahead. I want to look at this passage in Romans. In Romans chapter 10, it's this idea that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. There was a saying years ago that came up, and it was about evangelism. And the saying was, um, you should preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. Meaning, live your life in such a way that God recognizes the gospel exists, or people recognize the gospel exists. And I've always struggled with that saying. Because I don't think that's a biblical saying. I do believe that we're supposed to live godly lives. But in Romans chapter 10, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And he says here in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I started on this verse for a purpose. I'm not going to go into the details of this verse, but this verse is one of the most misused and misrepresented and misquoted and misunderstood verses in in the book of Romans. That said, we can talk about that another time. But then it says on, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Remember when Jesus says, I will acknowledge you before my Father if you will acknowledge me before men. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Your neighbor, your employee, your employer, your business. Associate whatever he has set eternity in that human being's heart. In the book of Acts, there's a story in Acts chapter eight. We're familiar with the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's he uh, the Ethiopian eunuch is uh, a eunuch. He's a treasure for the queen of Candace, and he goes to Jerusalem to worship, and then he's coming back, and he's he's reading uh, this scroll Isaiah, and. God, an angel of the Lord, says to Philip, Hey, I want you to go over to that chariot and stand by it. And so he, he goes over to the chariot and, and he's, he's, he says, Hey, uh, he runs up to the chariot and he says to Philip, or he says to the Ethiopian eunuch, Hey, do you understand what you are reading? Now this man was seeking religion, he was seeking God, he was seeking something that he could put his hands on, it was palpable, and Philip comes in and says, Do you understand what you're reading? And what is the unit's response? How can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? I don't get it unless someone explains it to me. There's this concept out there that we're going to look a little bit at later on in the message that our job as Christians, our job as religious people that love God is to share with other people the good news. God has made it evident to everyone that That by what he has made, he exists. His divine power is real. His creation is his. And now he says, now go be my ambassadors and share it with other people. That's That's the message of the gospel. It's not live your life so quietly and so perfectly and so great that other people go, hey, I think I want to become saved. I think I want to become a Christian. No, this concept is go into all the world and teach people. Make them my disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is the command we're given by God throughout Scripture. And so as I'm going through this this last eight weeks or whatever, I'm walking around, I'm seeing all these people. I'm going, God has set eternity in their hearts because one day they're going to meet Him. One day you're going to meet Him. One day I'm going to meet him. And when I look at the political spectrum that we've got going on right now, it feels like it's sooner than later. I don't know when it's going to be. Nobody does. I think only it says God knows. But it feels like it's going to be sooner than later. Now on a side note, you know, this is not meant to be a two sermons in one, but as I was thinking about this too, I was like, you know what? There's, There seems to be like a pattern in church attendance. And and this is, not, this is based on past experience and observation. And this is not me being judgmental of people that aren't here today or weren't here last week or weren't here the week before or the five weeks before that. So I was gone seven out of eight weeks. So this is not a judgmental part of the message because it would be hypocritical if it was. But I'm just saying my observation and my experience has been around Mid-January through May, um, we see families kind of make church part of their weekly routine. They they tend to show up, and occasionally, obviously, you have the getaway weekends and all that, but uh, at a minimum, I feel like they're here most of the time from mid-January to May. You know, Christmas comes, and they're like, we're going to make church a priority this year, and school's in session, and so they end up showing up more on the weekends. And then, May through August, you kind of have this welcome to playtime in western Colorado. School is out, you take the long extended trips, um, you go, uh, you you got ball tournaments, you got extended vacations, you got camping, you got float trips, you got all these things out there in western Colorado that kind of causes the summer season of church attendance to go down. And then you have the uh, September through mid-January where attendance seems to go back up a little bit. People are back in school, they don't go on extended vacations, they're busy, they're getting ready for the holidays of course that's unless you live in western Colorado when there's hunting seasons which a lot of us miss because of hunting seasons or hunting dates but in general we seem to have an increase a little bit in church attendance. Now these observations are not entirely you know part of the message or the purpose of the message but rather the question comes from those observations and the question comes from the fact that eternity is set in the hearts of men is the question that are we Preparing? are we helping others prepare for his return? Because I think this world's getting crazy. I think it's getting crazier every single day. Um, according to many Christian opinions, the world's getting closer to looking like end times. And one of the questions that I've asked myself about myself, and I've asked that about the church in general, is that are we becoming complacent with the status quo of being called a Christian? Are we becoming just like, yeah, I'm a Christian, and that basically means that um, I'm going to pray before dinner, and I'm going to live my life in in a fairly godly way and a moral life so that others can see that I do believe in Jesus. And I wonder if verses like Philippians chapter 2 um, which simply says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is talking to the church at Philippi and he's encouraging them, he's exhorting them to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I wonder if that verse has been removed from a lot of teaching because it seems It seems legalistic. It seems like, well, if you use that scripture to scare people into a relationship with God, or you use that scripture to tell people you need to do more for God, then you've become a legalist in a sense, and therefore let's remove that scripture altogether. Is that making sense? How that seems to be kind of a common theme within Christianity, is that we've got to remove this fear and trembling of God. We need to remove that from our doctrine or our dogma. And when I look at scripture, and I look at the expectations of God, and I look at the expectations of the things that that I believe are are appearing to happen over the course of time that we're in right now, I start looking at some of the exhortations that Jesus gives us while he's here on earth. And the further we remove ourselves from the time that he was here, and the more we're kind of inside this cesspool of the world, it's easier to start get tainted a little bit by the worldly perspective on religion rather than God's perspective on religion and Jesus' perspective on religion. So in Mark chapter 13, it's the last part of the chapter and he's talking about, Jesus is talking about kind of the end, the end and, and the day and hour and, and, and him coming back. And, in verse 33 he says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Now what I want you to do is I want you to look in this passage. Okay, This is kind of the guts of the message. I want you to look in this passage in Mark chapter 13. The exhortations given by Jesus to his followers. Okay, This is not just a story we read. Already. This is literally, this was recorded by Mark that Jesus said this to his followers. And he says, no, listen to the exhortations. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. It doesn't say, so be on your guard. It says, be on your guard. He's got this exclamation point on his be on your guard. Be alert. Another exclamation point. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. That word watch is be alert, stay awake. It's the very last word of this chapter Of this subject. Before he starts to go on to some other things. His last exhortation. Is be alert. Watch. And I feel like we need to look at the points. That we can consider in light of this message. That Jesus preaches. To his followers. That it's what are we to do. As followers of God. As Christians. If we claim to be Christians. And we are Christians. What are we to do in light of this scripture when he says watch, be alert, be on guard, stay awake do you think that is just for them? come on, I haven't preached in my I don't think I've completely lost my touch in preaching and so engage with me here do you believe that this exhortation from Jesus is only for the disciples or do you think it's for you? do you think it's for you Ryan? Steve, is it for you? Jess, is it for you? Brenda, is this for you? Is this for me? I feel like when we look at Scripture, we think, oh, this was written to the church at Corinth. Or this was written to Rome. Or this was Isaiah talking to the nation of Israel. And do I agree we have to put everything in context 100%? Yes, we have to put it in context. It's a dispensational book we got to look at who it's written to, why it's written, what's the point, what's the timeline, all that I agree with. So we have to ask, is he writing, is this only for his apostles, his disciples at the time, or does this include us? And my argument would be that it includes us. My point is, I think he's saying to us to watch out. To be on your guard. To stay awake. To be alert. Because there's so much stuff going on right now. And even if it's 5,000 more years before Jesus comes back, you will not live 5,000 years. So you will have to give an answer to God. I will have to give an answer to God about why I did what I did, why I said what I said. Did I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Did I recognize Jesus as my master and my Lord? This is the real application stuff to come into church to hear the message about what does the Bible said and how does it relate to my life? That's what I see in this scripture here. So I think there's all these things, we get like six things or five things we can take from this passage and it's one is to live like we believe his first coming actually happened. Live our life today, like 2,000 years ago, really did take place. And this isn't just a Mark Twain tale. That this is actually a story and a a circumstance in life that happened. Because we have parable after story after parable after teaching that says the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man was going to be... uh, Made king in another province. And so he went. But before he left, he says, Here, here are three minus. I want you to take this and do something with it. And so he goes, and some of his servants hated him. And three of them said, Okay, I'm going to take the money, the three months' wages that God gave me, or that this king gave me. Sorry, Freudian slip. And he comes back, he says, What did you do with the money? And the first one says, Guess what? I times it by ten. And he says, What did you do with the money, Ryan? And Ryan says, I times it by five. And then he says, Nate, what did you do with the money? well, I put it in a cloth and I didn't want to do anything with it because I knew you did not sow or reap and you're not a just man. And he says, what you were given is going to be taken from you and given to Ryan. Because you didn't use the talents I gave you. You didn't use the gifts I gave you. Now, I'm not hellfire and brimstone here. I'm just telling you, this is what the story is in Luke. This is the scripture, the story that God, that Jesus tells his people. His people. And I have this very convicting question for all of you. What is your gift? I mean that seriously. I want you to think about that tonight, this week. I pray that you think about it this week. Gavin, what is your gift? What did God give to you so you could glorify Him? Because He's coming back. And He's going to say, Son, I, I, I gave you 10 minus, man. What? Show, show me. What what'd you do with it? I know you accept, accepted my grace. But did you accept my lordship? Because I gave you a talent or five or ten. What did you do with it? If you don't know what your gift is, that's okay. It's not like you're going to hell because you don't know what your gift is, but God wants us to find what our gift is so that we can faithfully administer grace to other Christians out there. That's the point of Scripture. It says each of you should use whatever gift you have received, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so what is your gift? How do you serve the king, and how do you serve his body, the church? Maybe it is prayer. I was prayed over this morning and I'm feeling it. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's washing the feet of the saints. Maybe literally, maybe not literally. Maybe it's cleaning there. Maybe it's, maybe it's doing worship. I don't know what your gift is. Maybe it's encouraging. Maybe it's giving money. Maybe it's contributing to the needs of others. And if you want to know what your gift is, go to Romans chapter 12 and look at the different gifts that are mentioned in Romans chapter 12. Look in 1 Corinthians and look at the different gifts that are mentioned so you can say, okay, God, I noticed through my life, I know me better than anybody and I feel really strong about this area. I can use this to serve the king. Second thing is we've got to be discerning when it comes to what Jesus is talking about here, the day and and hour. There have been preachers and theologians, and Bible teachers, and since the beginning of time, it says the end is here, the end is near, the end is here, okay? The Bible's very clear. Only God knows when the end is. Which kind of makes sense that, why you saying, saying, use the gift I gave you, because you don't know when I'm coming back. Don't be caught going, uh not doing anything right now God I didn't think you were coming back for a couple of weeks and there's a story about people that are like if you knew a time the robber was going to come you would have been ready so just be ready have your pistol loaded don't come into my house and take my stuff be ready when the robber's coming be ready serving and working when God is going to return because we don't know when he's going to return and we, there's, there's people out there that are teaching doctrines they're teaching end time stuff that's not true Because they don't know. In that Ecclesiastes 3 passage, when it says that he set eternity in the hearts of men, it's followed up by it says that man cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And then later in two chapters, even if a wise man believes and says that he knows, he doesn't. He doesn't. We have this idea of hope in the scriptures and that hope that we know Jesus is coming back. So work for the king while he's away because when he comes back he wants to see us busy but watch out for those that are teaching a doctrine that is contrary to what the scriptures teach and then this another passage idea is this, that we need to encourage one another encourage one another all the day as you see all the more as you see the day approaching we see that in First Thessalonians um, you know we see that in, in Hebrews when it talks about encourage one another daily and it's in the context of uh, it's like preaching to the it's like as a baseball coach I get upset at the kids all the kids not upset but I challenge all the kids and a couple kids aren't working hard and they're not running or whatever and I'm getting mad at all of them and I really should just be talking to those two or three saying you're lazy you need to work harder and so preaching to the people that are here today (laughs) make sure you come to church while you're here so that's for those other people that aren't here Again, I'm not judging, because seven out eight, eight weeks I was gone. I'm just saying, in the context of the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, it does say that we are to not get in the habit, I'm going to paraphrase, of missing the fellowship. Why? Why do you suppose that is? Why do you suppose Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? When they gave him a hard time about picking wheat wheat kernels, he says, no, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Why did Jesus say that? Because I need a spiritual gas station. I need spiritual fuel. Because all week, I'm running on high octane I'm out in the world. I'm doing this. I'm working. And all of a sudden, it's just bombarded. And bad company crips get good character. And it's like this yeast is just coming and God says, hey, You need to come fellowship. You need to be encouraged. You need to fellowship with the communion. That's why God gives us this day to worship together. Other than to give Him glory, of course. But the purpose and the benefit of it for us is that we can hear a message, hopefully that's uplifting and encouraging, but we can have those conversations with each other, that says, man, I had a hard time, I had a hard week, and just say, let me pray for you, or tell me about it, or just laugh and have fun and talk about our weeks. I mean, it's the fellowship, the community that God wants us to have. It's a very biblical, solid, truth doctrine. Live as if today was the day. Again, it's a little bit reiterating what I've already said, but it's like the, the, the smoker, you know. My stepdad was a smoker for 20 years or 15 years and he, he got prostate cancer and he died in mid 40s and I've known other people that have that have died of uh, just from a smoking perspective that died of cancer or that you know my grandparents on his side as well and they spoke two packs a day for 50 years and then they go to the doctor and the doctor says I'm sorry but you have three months to live you are gonna die of lung cancer And they go, I'm going to quit smoking right now and I'm going to eat healthy and see if I can cure this thing. Now, can that happen? Possibly. But living every day, every day as if tomorrow was the day. So it's not too late. So that it's not irreversible. So that the slippery slope doesn't happen. Where you fall away enough, you compromise enough away from God that pretty soon the fellowship is not that important. The giving thanks to God is not that important. And remember in Romans chapter 1 last time I preached the biggest detriment to those heathens in that context of Romans was that they neither gave thanks to God and they didn't glorify God. That's why God's that's why Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They saw what he had done. They recognized his creation. They saw his divinity based on what he had created. And he says, but they didn't give thanks and they didn't glorify him. That was the reason behind the and the damnations because they didn't glorify the creator of the universe and they didn't give him thanks. Think about this God that we're talking about. We went, I don't know how many miles it is across the ocean and went into East Somerset and drove three hours north of South Africa and I felt like I was walking literally in the mountains surrounding Grand Junction. I brought back rocks, seven rocks in my backpack or in my suitcase from the continent of Africa. It wasn't Hawaii. I don't believe in the bad juju anyway, but it wasn't a lava rock, so I was okay. I asked a few locals if I could take a rock back, and they said, yeah, if you want to carry them. But those rocks, they, they reminded me that this is a very big universe, but that God is such an amazing creator that as I'm walking around parts of Africa, it looks like western slope Colorado. The, the, the trees some of the trees look like i mean the, the russian olives there were the thorns were about three inches long and they're on steroids but they look like russian olives and the oak brush was you know everything has thorns it seemed like but the oak brush was similar to the oak brush we have here the the sage looked like the same type of sage i mean it's just really cool to think about what god has done and you're that far across and i think we've got a Recognize and we've got to live each life in giving him glory and giving him thanks. And finally, uh, for those of you that are keeping track, I'm almost finished here. Um, we, we've got we've to continue to do the work that God, that Jesus left us here to do. We've got to continue to do it. It's difficult sometimes. We're going to go under, we're going to receive persecution. To stand firm, somebody sent me, which I'll, um, I don't have my phone on me, or I'd look it up, show you a picture of it. But he sent me a picture, and he says, hey, Google is recommending, people are recommending to paste this on your Facebook wall or something. And it's basically, uh, it's a door post, Okay, follow with me here. It's a door opening. And across the header, said, I want you to, this, this, the picture was picturing or coloring the header, the colors of the rainbow. And that you're supporting the, the, the LGBTQRSTYZ movement. And the, the pride thing. To, to go ahead and paint that across the top of the header because it will keep you from being audited by these new 87,000 IRS agents. Now, I'm sure there's gotta be some baloney to that in the IRS agent stuff, and I'm sure there's gotta be some conspiracy theory to it. However, on my conspiracy theorist side, maybe, (laughs) maybe, that movie, The Big Short, the guy that talked in 2007-8 about all the the mortgage industry collapse that was gonna happen, that guy, invest in water now, but that same guy in two thousand seven and eight called four times to the government and left message after message and said, Hey, I can help explain to you how I saw this coming through algorithms. How I saw it was going to happen. And instead of a return call and an invitation to sit in front of Congress or the Senate, he got audited by the IRS four times. There is persecution that will come to Christians. We haven't even experienced it here yet. Of any depth. When I talk to this African, South African doctor. And he starts to talk about different parts of Africa. Where they have these international uh, ministries. Or these intercontinental ministries throughout Northern Africa. He says there are Christians that are dying. That are being killed across this universe, this, not the universe, but the world. There are Christians being killed. So, when we talk about persecution, in Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handled, handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. You know, as I read these words and, and study the teachings of Jesus... I think, it's in, I think it's important for me to ask, is he talking to me here? Am I going to be handed over to the governors and the kings and the government and have to give an account for why I talked about the 87,000 IRS agents because it's been recorded? That guy that sent me that photo of the, the little rainbow on top of the doorpost, I said, I would rather get persecuted than condone that. I would rather get persecuted than advocate something that is a blatant spitting in the face of my God. All day long. So the necessity of the encouragement. And the building up of the saints. We need to talk about that. We need to understand that. We need to recognize that. Then I come one day and I'm like, man, Ryan, I just, I got audited because I donated to this political adversary of the far left. And now I'm, I mean, I, I know, hey brother, you know what was going to happen. You just keep standing up for what's right. You keep standing up for the word. You keep standing up for truth. It's all going to end soon. Well, Jesus is coming back. You're going to die in two days or 50 years, whatever, and you are going to meet your maker. Stand strong, brother. Stand strong. Encourage one another. Give each other courage. Those Those are the reasons why we're supposed to be a part of this church body. Next week we're going to talk. Up, uh, we're going to look at the persecution. Um, I can't promise I'm not going to bring that little rainbow-colored doorpost to show you what I'm talking about, but who knows? I don't think I'm gonna, but I might just show you a picture of it, in case so you don't put a picture on your Facebook page. Stand strong. So we're going to talk about persecution uh, next week and uh, how it's expected and we should anticipate it. What's happening across the world? And how do we prepare our hearts for that? What I assume is going to be a difficult time, whether in our life or our kids' or grandkids' lives. Good to be back. Missed this fellowship a, a lot. Uh, we we, were, we talked about going to a church in three, um, South Africa, and they said, you wouldn't understand, it's in Afrikaan, And I said, or Afrikan, however you say it. So there's like seven languages there they speak, and that was one of them. And they speak in Dutch English, which is kind of a cool accent. I would have understood that, but not the Afrikaan. So, but we didn't go. We drove by, and uh, we ended up heading back south. But, so it's good to be back here, and love you guys. I hope, hope you all had a good couple of months and plan on coming back. I do have a, uh, a hunt with Jonas uh, next week, but we're going to come back late Saturday night, and we'll be here next Sunday. So next Sunday, I'll be talking about uh, persecution. I hope you can. I hope you can join us. Who has uh, communion? Right off, okay.